you to sing our praises because of who you are and what you've done for us and in this world. We are excited to be here today and to gather together to join our voices, our hearts, our minds in worshiping you. We know that you are here with us. We pray that you'll do today all that you desire to do and that we will rejoice in you. And we ask this through Jesus. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others here in worship this morning.
So I uh, just wanted to mention a couple of things that are in your bulletin tonight. Small groups begin meeting. Uh, any kind of a, a small group setting is always helpful to us. It's, there's accountability. There's connections, relationships. It's a chance to uh, just to to be in uh, in relationship with other people in a smaller setting than what we can do on the in, on Sunday mornings. So we hope that you'll be a part of a group. If you're not, if you're interested, uh, please uh, talk to talk to me after the service or one of the other pastors, and we'll get you connected. Uh, those begin tonight, but they also meet other some meet during the week as well. You also see a couple of inserts in your bulletin. This is the last day to sign up for nursery. It's a schedule will be made this week, today, or at least at the very latest tomorrow uh, to get in your uh, nursery sign-up sheet if you haven't done that yet. And also next Sunday, we're hosting a potluck for college and grad students. And uh, you can see here, if you're a, uh, a college or grad student, we'd love for you to come. Uh, just fill this out just so we know how much food to have. And if you're a... Uh, a year-round resident here. Uh, we hope that you'll come as well because the whole point of it is to connect with uh, each other. Then just jot that down and uh, some information about what you can bring. And we look forward to this time together uh, after the services next Sunday. I'd like to invite the ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings.
Father, we want to thank you for the reality of Jesus. It's hard for us to imagine what the world, our lives, would be like without Jesus. So we come in gratitude and thanksgiving for all that you've done for us, particularly for Jesus. It culminates in whom culminates all that you are and all that you do. Father, we come today needy people. People in need of your transforming grace, people in need of your help in our lives. And so we, we come before you and, and we bring to you the burdens and the concerns that we have today. Father, we... Today we can't help but think about people who are going through very difficult circumstances right now. We think of the the people down in the Gulf Coast, Florida, who have been through hurricane and others who are now experiencing it. All throughout the Caribbean and down the coast. Lord, our hearts ache. For the damage and the destruction, for the loss and pain and heartache. It's hard to know exactly what to say, but we ask that you will bring relief. We pray that this storm that is coming will be diverted and the damage will be less than anticipated. We pray, Father, for your protection. And we ask, Father, that you would help us, your church, to be a presence to help heal and restore all that has been damaged and broken. Let your people be a voice, a presence of hope in the midst of despair. We pray for the same for the people in Mexico and this earthquake. Can our hearts break for the loss and the pain the devastation. We ask, Father, that you will bring your spirit to bear and your people to be present, to be a source of hope and healing in the midst of death and destruction. Father, we thank you for what you are doing uh, throughout uh, the world. We do think about the people of Haiti who've been through so much and now as... As the, our connections there with the Teeds and, and Don Little down there teaching right now, we pray that even their ministry, their presence, you would use to help people who are in crisis and need. We pray that the nation of Haiti will continue to see a revival of your spirit, that more and more people will come to see that you are the one who loves them and cares for them and transforms them. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Indonesia. We think particularly of of this man, Harun, who has just become a believer and who is facing great obstacles and opposition like so many in places like this. We pray for courage and faith for him, for others, and ask that your grace would be upon them in full measure. Lord, we thank you for the ministry of your church uh, around the world and and close to us. We pray for the Forestville Wesleyan Church today. Pastor Bruce Ellis, pour out your blessing upon this congregation of believers. We pray, Father, that you will help us here. We pray that you will heal our diseases. We pray that you will comfort us in our grief and pain.
We pray that you will restore all that is broken among us. We've just come through this Christian Life Emphasis Week and we've sensed your spirit speaking to us. And we pray that what has happened will not be forgotten, but will be a catalyst to more and more of what you want to do in this place and beyond. Give us hearts that are open, ready to hear, ready to receive, ready to obey, ready to love. We thank you for your grace upon us. We offer this prayer in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Hosea, the first chapter, the first 11 verses, and then the 14th chapter, the first nine verses. And following the reading, children ages two to five can be dismissed for children's church. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman, have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel. Because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. After she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet... The Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. And then the 14th chapter. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins. Receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily. Like a cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. His fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell again in his shade. They will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. I am like a flourishing juniper. Your fruitfulness comes from me. Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. The word of the Lord. 
Please stand and join us as we sing. Relationships are one of the most wonderful things in the world, and they are also one of the most challenging things in the world. It doesn't matter what kind of relationship you're talking about. They are a blessing, and they are a difficulty, a struggle. We all understand that. And the reason relationships are such a difficulty and a struggle for us sometimes is because we know when we invest ourselves in a relationship, we are risking We're sticking out our necks to love someone, to care for someone, to invest ourselves in someone. And when we do that, there is always the potential for being hurt. That someone rejects our love. That someone rejects us. I was thinking back to when I was in junior high and uh, one of my best friends and I had made plans to go do something. But a day or so before those plans were made, some high school guys in the church asked me to do something with them. I'm sorry, but I got to go with the guys, you know. And I just still remember, you know, the, the, the disappointment and the hurt in my friend's voice when I said, you know, I can't go with you because I'm going to go with these guys instead. And I know it was deeply hurt. And the truth is, I've had that happen to me. You've probably had it happen to you. Maybe you've done it. Relationships can be awesome and they can be a struggle. And when we come to the the book of Hosea, we find Israel and God in a relationship struggle. Israel has, uh, God has come to Israel. He has said to them, I want you to be mine. And in essence, God proposes to Israel and they come together. They stand at the altar and God pledges his love to Israel. And Israel pledges her love to God. And then Israel 
says, you know what? I think I like them better. I think I like that God better. I think I like that nation better. I think I want to do this. And they reject God and this covenant that they have entered into together. Sometimes we think the problem with sin is that we, that the real problem with our relationship with God, what we do that's wrong is that we disobey God's rules. But the reality is, the real issue about sin is that it rejects, it breaks the covenant that God makes with us. The book of Hosea, I wish we could, you know, it's 14 chapters, so we read just the beginning and the end of it this morning. There is so much here that we aren't going to be able to talk about. But the general sense of the book of Hosea, what you find happening over and over again, is that the problem is relationship. The problem is breaking covenant. In chapter 8, verse 1, uh, it God, the prophet says, Sound the alarm. The enemy descends like an eagle on the people of the Lord, for they have broken my covenant and revolted against me. Again, in, in chapter 6, he says, Like Adam, you broke my covenant and betrayed my trust. This is the issue that's going on. It's not that they have disobeyed God's rules. It's that they've broken covenant with him. They have, they have shattered the relationship with God. And, and, and I think that makes a difference in how we view God. Because often we simply think God is, is a, a judge and we have set down rules and we just have to obey the rules. And it often leads to us creating some kind of checklist. And as long as we're able to check off the list, we're okay with God. It's not that God doesn't have rules. It's not that God doesn't ask us to obey him. But the heart of, of our relationship with God is this covenant. The heart of our experience with God is relationship. That's why God creates us. He doesn't create people and say, all right, I'm going to create some people so that they'll obey me. He creates people because he loves us and he wants relationship with us. And he chooses Israel to be in relationship with them and they break the covenant. And what Hosea tells us is that their choices for idolatry, they forget all of God's blessings. When they do that and they break the covenant, Hosea tells us that that hurts God. I'm not sure we always think of God as being able to be hurt. That God feels pain. The alternative to that is that God is an unemotional robot. And, and I think sometimes that's the view we have of God. And he is this being who, who never experiences emotion. He never experiences hurt or pain. But if you read, particularly the Old Testament, you find over and over and over again thousands of references to God feeling emotion and expressing emotion. He is hurt. Because he's entered into relationship with us. He has risked with, to love us. And we have rejected him. And it causes him pain. In Ezekiel's prophecy, he writes in chapter 6. He says, but, how will, but I will let a few of my people escape destruction and they will be scattered among the nations of the world. And then when they are exiled among the nations, they will remember me and they will recognize how hurt I am by their unfaithful hearts. How hurt I am by their unfaithfulness. Hosea is a book that is telling us God has passion for us. Dennis Kinlaw writes in one of his books that God, when you read, all it takes is a cursory look of the Old Testament, and you see that God is a passionate lover. We don't often think of God that way. God is a passionate lover, and he loves, he's fallen in love with Israel, and he wants Israel to be his own. And the minute you become a passionate lover, you take a risk of being hurt. And our sin hurts God. 
Our sin brings pain to God because it shatters our relationship with Him. And so what does God do? God says to Israel, all right, it's obvious to me that you want to live your lives without me. So I'm going to let you try that for a while. Later on, he comes back to them and says, so how's that working out for you? He said, I'm going to let you do that. And so in the very first chapter, he says to, to Hosea, who his wife has a child. And he says, here's what you name her, not loved. Because I'm no longer going to show love to Israel. Doesn't mean he doesn't love Israel, but he says, I'm not going to show love to Israel. It's going to feel like I don't care about you because I'm going to let you be. And then the second child comes, he says, not, name it, not my people. Because if you don't want to be my people, okay, you don't have to be my people. I'm not going to strong arm you into being my people. This is a relationship between us. And the only reason you are my people is because you want to be my people. And if you want to live not being my people, I'm going to let you try that. What I find interesting is that later on, God says it's breaking his heart to have to leave Israel alone like that, to step back. We know that feeling. If you are a parent, particularly, you know that feeling of having to let your children experience failure. Because they need to learn some lessons. They experience small failures so that they avoid larger failures. I mean, it starts the minute you bring them home from the hospital. I mean, if, you, if you're like most parents, your children, you bring them home at middle of the night, they cry. And you do feedings and you change diapers and they continue to cry. And you read the books and what do the books tell you? Let them cry. If you've ever had to go through that, it is agonizing. And if you're like me, I had a hard time doing it. But they tell us it's in their best interest to learn that they can take care of that. It's okay. You've done what needs to be done. And you have to sometimes let them cry. You think about the, the pain that, that our children sometimes have to go through. And we want to avoid it. You know, maybe they're having a medical procedure, a surgery. And you watch them being wheeled away. And you want to grab that gurney and, and run with it out of the hospital. And just take them home and say, I don't want to put you through that. Because they're afraid. And they're scared. And you know that. And it's going to be painful. But you realize that it's in their best interest in the long run. And I think it breaks God's heart to have to to let us experience this life that we sometimes seem to want. Because it begins to teach us what life is like without him. And when you look at the cycle of Israel's life from the very beginning, you look at the book of Judges and what happens? They, they turn away from God, and so he lets, them, he lets them be enslaved. And when they realize how bad life is without him, and they cry out to him, he comes and rescues them. And life is good until they reject him again, and you keep going through the cycle. And so God says, all right, I'm going to back away. I'm going to let you be who you seem to want to be. But he just... Can't keep doing it. And you come to verse 11, even in the first verse, after he says, not my, not love, not my people, he says, but I, I'm going to restore you. And you come to chapter 11, verses 7 to 8, and God has been declaring how much the people have run from him and how frustrated he is by that and angry by that. And he says, I'm going to just go, just get out of here. Leave me alone. I'm, I'm done with you. And the very next sentence is, how can I give you up? How can I let you go? I can't. Because I love you. And the story of Hosea is that, is that despite all the ways in which we reject God and hurt God and run from God, he keeps pursuing us. Pursues us. 
He keeps coming to us. He keeps loving us. He keeps yearning for us. He keeps doing everything he can to try to draw us back to him and to see who he really is. And this is where you, you come to that. We didn't read all of this, but you come, chapters 1, 2, and 3 are about Hosea and his wife. And the difficulty of that really strange relationship. As he says, we read in chapter 1, he says, go marry this uh, promiscuous woman. Often the translation is a prostitute. And what we find in chapter 2 is that uh, she runs off to have other relationships. And God says to Hosea, go get her. Bring her back. The scene in chapter 3 is, I think, is sort of an auction. I don't know exactly what has happened, but she's gotten herself into a situation where she's become enslaved. And Hosea goes to the auction for the purpose of buying her back. And I have in my mind this vision of Hosea making his way to the auction, seeing some friends, saying, Oh, what are you doing here? I've come to bid. Really? On who? My wife. Ooh, ouch. It's humiliating. It's humiliating what Hosea has to do. You've got to understand, Hosea is in the power, place of power in all this relationship. And, and God has given males the right to, to give their wives a certificate of divorce for things a lot less than what Gomer has done. And the most natural thing in the world for Hosea to do is to say, yeah, I don't think so. I would love to have been in the conversation that God and Hosea had about that. The right thing to do is to say, I've had enough. The protective thing to do is to say, I can't do this anymore. The wise thing to do is to say, no, I'm not going to do that. But the loving thing to do is to go get her. There are people who believe that this, this story of Hosea and Gomer is allegorical. Because they can't imagine that God would ever ask one of his prophets to do something like he's asked him to do in this book. It's just too messy. But that's who God is. God continually steps into our messiness. God continually humiliates himself to redeem us. I mean, the most astounding thing about all of this with Hosea is that he says to Hosea, I want you to go do this because I want this to be a symbol of what I'm going to do and have done and will do with my people. They have rejected me. They have run off. They've become enslaved. And I will never give up on them. Despite how humiliating it may be. Despite how much God has to make himself vulnerable to make it happen. Despite the risks that God takes to redeem us. Despite the pain that God goes through to redeem us. He does it. He humbles himself. He becomes, he becomes vulnerable. And he appears weak. Because he loves us. When I read that story, it makes me think of a cross on a hill outside of Jerusalem about 800 years later. This is who God is. This is our God. He pursues us with a relentlessness. He pursues us even though it means that he humiliates himself, even though it means that he becomes vulnerable, even to death. This is our God. And the only thing he calls us to do is to return. When you get to chapter 14, it's really one of the few things that God asks Israel to do here. And he simply begins chapter 14 by saying, return to me. Turn around. Come to me. 
was talking with some folks about that this week, and, and someone made a really astute observation. They said that really to return is just simply to turn around. And if we think about Hosea and Gomer, if she turns around to come back to him and he's nowhere around, is she really going to keep moving toward him? But if she turns around and he's standing right there with his arms open, it's easy to return. And you and I are called to return as well. And when we turn around, God is standing right there. It doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter where we've been, where we've gone, what we've done. God is standing right there, pursuing us, yearning for us, wooing us, loving us. Because that's who God is. One of the fascinating things to me about Hosea and really all of the, these prophets is that most of the prophecies are cyclical, not linear. It kind of bugs me a little bit. I like things to be linear. You know, I I want there to be a straight line. I want there to begin with, we're in sin, God calls us and redeems us, we become new creatures, and from that moment on, we just do this. Right? I mean, that's what, that's what I hope for, and that's what we want. We desire that. But the reality of life is that it looks a lot like this. There's a lot of zigzagging, and there's a lot of circling back. And when you read Hosea, he keeps doing that. You, you read a chapter or two of idolatry, judgment, compassion. Idolatry, judgment, compassion. Idolatry, judgment, compassion. It just keeps repeating over and over again. And as much as I wish it went like this, the reality is human relationships aren't like that. God is like that, but we're not. In our best relationships, there are good times and there are struggles. And there are times when when things are going well and then we hit roadblocks and we back up a little bit. And then we got to move forward again and we hit roadblocks and we back up again and we hurt each other and we have to work through that. And it feels like we're going backwards, but hopefully as we look through the process, there's at least an upward movement of it. And what I find in Hosea, what is telling us the cyclical description of our walk with God is that we don't make one decision and we're done. God doesn't give up on us if after that one decision, we falter. He keeps pursuing us again and again and again and again without end. And I think one of the great struggles that we face in the church is thinking that being a follower of Jesus means we now are expected to be perfect. And when we are not as if we could be perfect, we become discouraged. We want to give up. And we listen to the evil one's voice in our ear that says, well, you might as well quit now. You might as well give up now. And that voice that says, you realize you've come to God for forgiveness about that same thing. How many times? You do realize God has a limit, right? And we hear that voice in our ear and we agree with it and we give into it and we say, I guess I'm done. And the whole time God is saying to us, no, 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 I will never give up on you, period. You may hurt me. There may be consequences to your behavior. There are going to be difficulties and struggles that you're going to work through. And it's going to be difficult and it's going to be hard. But I will never, ever, ever ever stop pursuing you stop loving you stop wanting you and I think when we begin to understand that we actually start 
living more obedient lives. Because we are responding to the love of God with love. Not trying to check off rules. When we come to this table, it's really asking us to do the same two things that Hosea is asking us to do. To confess our sins. To acknowledge that we have broken our relationship with God and we need to be forgiven. To acknowledge that all of our blessings come from Him. That God is loving and good and we have, we have rejected Him. And we confess that. But this is also the place where we give thanks. We celebrate God's grace and mercy. His forgiveness. His love for us. His never-ending pursuit of us. And so as we come today, I want us to come with those two things in mind. Confessing our sins. Acknowledging our need for God. And giving thanks and celebrating this God who loves us so much. He pursues us and wants us and changes us more and more into his image. Holy Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace poured out to us, for your love. It's hard for us to comprehend. So we want to say thank you. Father, we pray that in this moment of silence, you will hear our prayers of confession. Father, let us also hear your words of forgiveness. And if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive our sins and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And hear our, our words, our celebration of your grace and mercy. You are good, and your mercy endures forever. Father, we come to this table in thanksgiving. And we ask that you would pour out the abundance of your blessing on the bread and the cup, that as we eat and drink, we may know your forgiveness and celebrate your grace through our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, meeting with his disciples, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. As you're released by Rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, eat it. And then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. Altar rails always open if you'd like to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you or if you simply prefer... We have trays of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your row. Just let the usher know as your row is released. 
And uh, I also have gluten-free wafers here. If you'd like those, just let me know as you come forward. I always like to mention that we practice open communion through Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time you ever worshipped here, but if you come today confessing your sins, acknowledging your need for God, and celebrating His grace and mercy to you, to all of us, then come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving Heavenly Father.
stand for the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.